Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening. It's Pharma Week at Bloomberg, so we're doing our part on Deal of the Week and focusing on Pharma M&A for this episode. So today is What's the Big Deal takes on a bigger meaning than just the deal itself, because it really represents a trend we're seeing among pharmaceutical companies, and that's asset swaps. It's one of the more interesting versions of M&A. Sanofi is trading its animal health business to Behringer Engelheim for its consumer healthcare business. And these are big businesses. It's a $25 billion asset swap. Sanofi's animal health business is valued at 11.4 billion euros. And Behringer's consumer health operation is 6.7 billion euros. Behringer will also pay Sanofi 4.7 billion euros in cash. And joining us today to talk not only about this deal, but why Pharma M&A is facing sort of an existential crisis, in his words, is Bloomberg M&A reporter Ed Hammond, who breaks deals not only in pharma, but also in healthcare in general and retail for us. Ed, welcome back to Deal of the Week. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Now, Ed, before we start with this, you probably could already tell by his accent, Ed is English. So let me just say, if I could, on behalf of the world to you, I'm sorry. Uh, and I'm not talking about Brexit as much as I'm talking about losing to Iceland in the Euro Cup, because in the end, as we all know, financial meltdown and political instability isn't nearly as disappointing and heartbreaking as sports disappointment. So I'm sorry. Yeah, it's uh, it's a hell of a week to be uh, English or British at all. Um, but yes, it's, it feels, I suppose, one advantage of being in the US is that I don't have to get quite absorbed into the uh, national sort of discontent and... Um, and, and meltdown as I would otherwise, but yeah, it's 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 thoroughly depressing the Brexit vote particularly, and then obviously that followed up by the abject performance of the English football team, which will be celebrated by our uh, near neighbours north of the border in Scotland, and also by Wales, who are still in the tournament. So congratulations to them. So, anyways, let's let's move to pharma M and um, I'm sure you can listen to Brexit and uh, Iceland Europe talk on other podcasts, uh, or Iceland English talk on other podcasts. Anyways. So let's start with this deal that we talked about. These companies are trading assets. This is mm. like, uh, you know, it's like a soccer team trade or a sports team trade. How unusual is this and, and, and why are they doing it? Well, increasingly, it's not unusual. It historically was unusual because um, I suppose the trend that prevailed for a long, long time was that you would see big pharma companies essentially conglomerizing. So they would buy into new uh, areas. So they might buy an animal health business and add that to their existing portfolio of um of drugs that they were producing in areas of, uh, of healthcare that they specialized in. But now what you're seeing much more of is companies sort of streamlining and, and it kind of uh, reflects what's going on in, in industries across the world where you're seeing companies that were once conglomerates actually, you know, sort of shaving off their portfolios and saying, look, these are the four things we're very good at and we're going to kind of get out of everything else. So you saw a very big one last year uh, with Novartis and GSK where they did something similar. It was actually a kind of a tripart deal because they did, an, they did an asset swap, but they also formed a joint venture. So they put, you know, two of their existing consumer healthcare businesses into one new JV. And I think you're going to see more of it. It seems to be something that Big Pharma is increasingly keen on. It is, um, it's a very complicated way of doing deals, and it tends to take much longer, which has been um, played out here. I think these companies actually announced in December last year that this was something they were in exclusive negotiations about, and now six months later, they've finally come out and said this is how it's going to be structured. But it's also one that entails a lot less risk, because you're not in a situation where you're trying to buy something where the price of it is moving all over the place all the time, where you have you know, market forces outside of your control that can dictate the price um, against you. 
What is it about how pharma companies are structured that allows this type of deal to take place? Do these units operate independently within the broader company? Often they do. Um, and I think that's probably a good characterization for the for the way these, you know, big pharma particularly is structured. So if you look at a company, um, you know, if we if we actually take in in this case Sanofi, right? So they have like a huge oncology platform and that's actually something they're trying to expand at the moment with a separate deal where they've come out and trying trying to buy a company called Medivation that's in process at the moment. Um, but they also have this very big animal health business and they you know, obviously are saying at this point, it's not something they think they're going to stay long in. It's not something where they maybe have uh, time or ability to prioritize it. So they're saying, well, we can probably do better getting out of this. We can take on a consumer health business where we already have a big consumer health platform, bolt that onto our existing business and, and maybe then focus more on, you know, consumer health, oncology, and a few other things we want to be very good at. And I think, um, you're seeing this across the sector. You know, Pfizer have talked about doing this. Um, obviously, as I said, the Novartis GSK deal, there's constant speculation about, you know, people getting out of consumer health and staying in other businesses or getting into consumer health and getting out of other businesses. So when I think of recent pharma deals, the ones that come to mind are the ones that didn't happen. So Pfizer Allergan or Pfizer AstraZeneca, AbbVie Shire, those are big deals. Maybe let's just start here. Why did these deals fail again? They were the very biggest uh, deals last year. So, yeah, they, they, I think the key thing with these deals is they didn't fail because of a sort of lack of strategic logic, at least, you know, in, in the minds of the companies. They, they essentially failed because the um, the basis for them was seen as not appropriate by the government. So uh, in Pfizer's case, both with AstraZeneca and with Allergan, it was seen as doing these deals aggressively to try and uh, change its tax domicile, so essentially put it in a position through an inversion, where it would um, where it would pay a lower level of uh, global corporate tax. And in the first example with AstraZeneca, the UK government essentially said this is unacceptable and kind of really really beat the company up pretty badly. And in the second case, the US Treasury kind of came out and was very very strongly against this. And Pfizer was was initially sort of very you know uh, strong and said look we're gonna you know we think legally we're on firm ground here and then eventually the government basically said to them look if you try this we will make your life extremely miserable indeed and they uh, they ended up walking away from it so i uh, just remind us what what are some of the deals that we have seen completed this year well we we haven't seen the mega deals as in the sort of 50 billion dollar and above deals that we saw attempted last year but we have definitely seen some smaller deals in the uh, in the pharma space and some that actually had had involved companies that had tried to do some of these big deals and fallen apart so we saw abvi which obviously tried to do the deal with shire uh, they bought stem centrics for about uh, about six point about six billion dollars and we also actually saw shire do quite a big deal with Baxalta. Uh, again that was one they had been discussing for a while there have been some disagreements between the companies over price but they also got this that deal done this year um, so we we have seen deals just of a slightly smaller scale yeah, right. That Shirebeck Salta one, I think, was $35 billion plus or so. Right, which is, you know, in itself is a very large deal, but it's not of the order of magnitude that, you know, Pfizer AstraZeneca or Pfizer Allergan would have been. Right. And Abbott, St. Jude, I think that was one of the ones that was announced on that one day where we saw $45 billion of deals. Yeah, that's that one right. about $30 billion itself. It, it was. And uh, that was, I remember that day uh, very well. It was a, it was a busy one. Uh, so... You know, let, let's let's broaden this out a little bit in terms of pharma M and A. In other words, what are some of the foundational issues here? Where we you talked about some of the taxation hmm. issues already, but 
will we be seeing bigger deals happening in the second half of the year or is the current environment sort of to get back to this idea of an existential crisis does mm. the current environment uh more or less prohibit bigger pharma deals from happening I think it does, and I, I, I sort of say that very mindful of the risk that as soon as we come out of this studio, there will be a mega deal announced or broken somewhere else in, in pharma. Naturally. But, but, but I think there is this, uh, this sort of confluence of pressures that the industry is facing at the moment, which make it quite difficult to see a very, very big deal coming down anytime soon. And, you know, obviously, we, we've sort of talked about the, the tax issues, and I think the inversion sort of the inversion motivated deal, if you like, is gone, at least for now. I also think we're going into a, a fairly heated election cycle where it's going to be difficult for anyone to try and pull off anything very large and very contentious because they will obviously be beaten up by the politicians. And I also think there is this issue of pricing, which has been a real um, a real problem for the pharmaceuticals industry. So obviously, Valiant was a very high profile example of this. They have been, you know, absolutely devastated. I think their shares have traded down about 90% uh, in the past year. And, and one of the, the main complaints against them was that they were aggressively um, putting the price up of some of the drugs they had. And obviously, this is seen as, as largely unacceptable because pharmaceutical companies do enjoy this it's not clearly written or defined anywhere, but they sort of enjoy this social pact where there's, they're allowed certain benefits um, by regulators, by government, but in return, they're seen as doing some social good as in you know researching and developing new drugs that could um, help save lives or, in, or, or indeed prolong lives. So I think you have that, which is a problem for them. And I also just think the you know the, the failure of some of these very large deals has sort of spooked um, pharmaceutical companies who, who might have otherwise tried to do big ticket M&A. The investors are very angry with them. A lot of, particularly a lot of arbitrage hedge funds have been sort of exploded um, by these uh, by these deal failures. And I think it would be um, it would be hard to envisage a pharma company trying to do a very, very large deal in this environment. Yeah, that issue of pricing, that's also what we saw with Martin Schrickelli, right, of, of sort of, uh, you know, boosting the prices to an unacceptable, maybe he was at the extreme. Yeah, level. I mean, he was, exactly, I mean, he sort of uh, traduced more egregiously than anyone else, I suppose, the um, the uh, drug users by doing this very, very aggressive price rising. And and for a while was the kind of poster child of all that's wrong with the pharmaceutical industry. But, but you know, as he often did, Mike Pearson stepped in and, and, and took the baton and um, became sort of, uh, you know, much more loathed in some ways than, than Shkreli because he ran a much bigger company. He had been very, very aggressive in going out and acquiring other companies and then essentially getting rid of their R&D and just jacking up the prices to completely unacceptable levels. And others have been caught up in this as well. You know, I think Endo is one where there's been some some issues here. Malincrot is another one that has been mentioned. And I think it's just, it's, it's an area that's so sensitive at the moment. And I think particularly with the... Um, you know, with Trump and Clinton going to duke it out for the presidency, I think anyone who is seen to be doing abusive practices at the moment in the pharmaceutical industry is going to get really, really um, a lot of pressure on them. Mike Pearson, the former Valiant CEO. The former Valiant CEO. So let's talk about what we can expect for the second half of the year. Uh, and look, I'll treat you like I treat some of my sources here when I'm trying to break news. Maybe... If we can, let's get specific on potential names. What companies might buy what other companies? Sort of what are you hearing as realistic to see this year? Well, so I think the, the most obvious place to start would be Medivation. Um, 
it was a story uh, we at Bloomberg here broke a few months back that uh, Medivation had actually hired uh, a bank to essentially defend itself because it had had some inbound interest that it wasn't particularly um, particularly taken with. Um, since then, it's come out um, that Sanofi was the um, was the party behind that inbound interest, and others. It, it sounds like others are now also taking a pretty serious look at Medivation, um, and. As of yet, Medivation we don't think is running any kind of formal sales process, but it is in a it is in a sort of fight to keep itself uh, independent because Sanofi have uh, have put forward a motion to actually change the board of directors at the company. The vote on that will be coming quite soon, and uh, should the board of directors of Medivation get taken out, Sanofi will essentially put the company up for sale and may well end up buying it itself. So that's one obvious deal. I think another area where we expect to see activity is animal health. Um, Obviously, part of the deal that was announced yesterday, the Sanofi uh, Bohringer uh, Engelheim deal, involved a big animal health component, and I think we're likely to see uh, more of that. I think, if not asset swaps, the main DB sales of animal health businesses. The obvious consolidator in the space is a company called Zoetis, which is a sort of pure play animal health and um, had, and maybe still does have, Bill Ackman as a fairly significant investor, and that's obviously likely to drive. Um, drive some kind of corporate activity there yes based on all his luck with valiant i would hope he knows this industry fairly well yeah i mean he's on a winning streak right with uh with valiant with herbalife um with the railways do not coming together yeah uh he's uh, i'm not sure he's necessarily the front man you want for your companies at the moment but nonetheless i think animal health um will be an area where we're likely to see some activity i think the last thing to to say on sort of potential deals or maybe a lack of potential deals is you know we did expect to see quite a lot of europe into the us or europe or us into europe deals um in the pharmaceutical space i think we can probably put that on hold for a while just because that was my next question yeah how does brexit factor into this um unclear exactly how because it's it's still early days and obviously there's a huge amount to play out both uh politically and economically in the uk and and in the eurozone but i think it's important it would be impossible to envisage a scenario where it's uh, anything other than negative, at least in the sort of short and medium term for um, for M&A activity in, in Europe in general, and, and of course in pharma as well. Um, just because of the uncertainty, I think the uncertainty is always a um, uh, an impairment to uh, to sort of big business decision making. And obviously, a big M&A transaction is about the biggest business decision anyone can ever take. So I think we're unlikely to see any any significant deal activity. And I think particularly sort of foreign buyers coming into Europe in the near term, very difficult to see unless they are being extremely opportunistic and trying to buy something while it looks uh, sort of irrationally cheap, if you like. Is there any connection to pharma M&A to more general healthcare M&A? In other words, some of the bigger deals that are being bandied about right now or have even been announced and may or may not happen, such as, let's say, Anthem uh, mm-hmm. merging with Cigna, yep. that deals with health insurers. Is there any connection between pharma M&A and then what happens? Is it a chicken and egg situ- situation or is there no connection at all? There is a slight connection. I suppose the, the obvious um, line to draw between those kind of things is, look, if the if the people who essentially are... Um, are buying the drugs to pass on to the consumer are consolidating, then that can drive consolidation elsewhere in the industry because ultimately if your if your buyers are going from, in this case, it's sort of five to three, uh, it could force you to consolidate so that you you know they have more purchasing power and then you get with someone bigger and you have more selling power. But I think the, the healthcare industry is so 
you know, in, in, it's 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 so many composite parts and it's so diverse. You know, if you look right away through it from the kind of insurers, the pharmaceutical companies, the medical supply companies, the IT companies, the hospitals, um, it, it's hard to say that there is a sort of a single factor that links them all together in M&A. But that said, we have seen more M&A in healthcare than almost any other sector of the economy, global economy in the past 18 months. And I think there are some parallels between it, but I would I would be sort of hesitant to draw too many reasons for why one would drive the other. Ed Hammond, our pharmaceutical, healthcare, retail M&A reporter here at Bloomberg. Thank you for joining us on such a difficult week for you, Ed. Thank you. So that's it for this week's episode. You can expect more Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals who are doing deals real time. And until then, find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Also, take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. If you have any ideas for future episodes, something you'd like to hear, let us know. And also follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Ed Hammond is at Ed Hammond NY. See you next week.